The fastest path to having a multi-million dollar agency is helping your clients get results faster. Lisa is the owner of Bottom Line, a multi-million dollar agency that considers itself to be a market research agency first before implementation. In this episode, we dig into the 80-20 rule to help Lisa catapult her business. The 80-20 rule, also called the Pareto Principle, asserts that 80% of outcomes result from 20% of activities. Five years ago, Lisa discovered the 20% of activities driving results for her clients and decided to go all in on the service offering, including making it mandatory for all clients to invest in it. In this episode, Lisa shares details about developing her service called Impact Assessment and her journey to a multi-million dollar agency. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Small But Mighty Agency Podcast. If you're a creative consultant or agency owner who wants to know what the roller coaster ride really looks like to grow your business from one to many, you're in the right place. My guest and I pull back the curtains on the realities of growing and running agencies of different sizes and what it takes to build a team. And if you're anything like me, you want more than the highlight reel. You want to learn from the mistakes of others so that you can stop short of making the same mistakes. I'm your host, Audrey Joy Kwan. I spend my days as a coach and consultant to multiple six and seven figure agency owners. For the last seven years, I've been behind the scenes helping people grow, lead and operate small but mighty agencies. Here at the Small But Mighty Agency podcast, we'll uncover what works and equally as important what didn't work to get these business owners to where they are today. Hi, Lisa. Welcome to the Small But Mighty Agency podcast. I'm excited to have you on the podcast today because we are going to dig into your 10 years of experience owning an agency. So before we begin, tell us a little bit about you, your agency, and who's on your team. Oh, thanks for having me, Audrey. I'm really looking forward to this. And yeah, I'm happy to tell you a little bit more about Bottom Line. So we get put in the marketing agency category all of the time, but really we are more of a market research firm first. And we believe that you know, that market research data should really drive the strategy. And that's what has really been behind why we've been able to get the results that we have for a lot of our clients. And so on the market research side of the business, we handle anything from you know, consumer behavior insight work um, and your typical quant and qual research activities. And then use that uh, data really to help inform business decision making for our clients and develop either go-to-market strategy in new geography or taking some market share back to you know, closer to home in the market that they're currently working in. And then once those plans are in place, the baton gets handed over to the implementation division. And those folks handle anything from, you know, visual brand identity work through to web development and a big focus in the digital and programmatic advertising space. Our team, we, we work on five different continents. So North America, Europe, Asia, Australia, and the Middle East. We service clients in those geographies as well as, of course, have team members in all those parts of the world as well. Um, and primarily, we work with mid-sized challenger brands, as we lovingly call them. Most of them have a head office in North America, but either have a global operation or want to have a global operation. And so, hence, a lot of the geographical expansion work that we do at Bottom Line. But that's just a little bit about us. How many people are currently on your team right now? 
Oh, good question. So we're 12 full-time folks, and then we have about 60 other team members that help in all sorts of different capacities. So that's, you know, anybody from, you know, an as-needed freelancer through to somebody who's on, you know, a temporary six-month or one-year full-time contract with us. Your agency did not look like this when you started 10 years ago. Can you start by sharing how your agency looked like when you first started? Yeah, no, I'd be happy to share. Um, When we first got going, uh, we were really small team. It was me. And, you know, at the beginning, we did mostly just marketing consulting type work. And then about a month in, uh, my two direct reports from the previous agency that I worked for uh, came to me and said, hey, you wouldn't happen to uh, need employees, would you? And I laughed and said, well, um, you know, if if timing might line up. And so I I hired those two on the spot, both the front end and the back end developer. And for a lot of years, it was just the three of us. So I handled kind of the consulting and the project management, and they handled a lot of the web development that happened behind the scenes. And so that carried us through till probably year... Mm, almost year four or five before we really started to scale up and add a lot more team members. Um, and, and it was at that point, too, that we really started to lean into this uh, research piece. Um, so I always, through my career, had known that, you know, research was important. Um, but most of the you know work I had done in the past was we'd take on a project and I might go and do the research, but we wouldn't actually build a client for it. It was just something that I innately thought yeah, I need to understand this business better to actually do a good job of this project. And then, you know, fast forward, um, being into bottom line, around that five-year mark, we really said, you know, we're doing this for all of our clients. Why are we not charging for this? And why isn't this a formalized process? And so that was really what sparked us running about a year-long research study to help answer the question, you know, for challenger brands specifically, what makes these big legacy brands you know, the big boys and what keeps small businesses small and not getting to that stage. And it was it was a really interesting project. Most uh, people on my team, and there was probably at that time about five of us. So we'd grown a little bit past the three, but we were still really small. Everybody thought that it was just going to be opportunity or access to capital. And what was really interesting is it wasn't at all. There's five kind of core, what we call impact principles or impact pillars that we now follow for all of our clients. But it's leaning into those things that's really made all of the difference. Um, And that helped shape a lot of our market research process as well. I want to go back and dissect so much of what you said. You mentioned that five-year mark was kind of a a milestone in in your business because you guys had landed on a service that you realized was extremely valuable to your clients. Now, it took you five years to get there. Can we dissect what was happening in your business before you got there, before you hit the five-year mark and realized we have this research product here, people want it, and we need to go all in on this service that you guys offer? What was happening prior to that in your business? Oh, that's such a good question. And I'm going to answer it really transparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was challenging. It was really challenging. We were kind of butting up against, you know, not bringing in a lot of revenue. Um, it was always a struggle to you know, bring on new clients and get the work done as quickly as we could. And because a lot of the work was project based and not necessarily retainer based. Um, So there was a lot of this like boom bust that happened. And then I, I mean, I laugh, I'm still a bit of a bottleneck today. But back then, I was a massive bottleneck, because I was doing a lot of the work, particularly as it pertained to, you know, the project management, and the client facing work. And then there still was behind the scenes work that needed to happen. And we just didn't really have you know, enough bodies, but we also didn't have enough work coming in to warrant, you know, hiring more, more team members. And so it was, it was a struggle. Um, and it was, 
a big epiphany when we kind of hit that point of like, man, we're doing this on every project, but we're not actually charging for it. And, and that was a really pivotal point for us to be able to go, man, this would be another revenue stream that we hadn't even been thinking about. And it, it makes the work better in general. So it's a value add all the way around. And, you know, what that did, obviously, is it did bring in more revenue and gave us that ability to grow kind of past that point. To turn your marketing research offer into a standalone service, what had to evolve or change about the offer? Oh, good, good question. So yes, it has absolutely evolved over the years since we first started. So at the very beginning, it was really just based on quantitative analysis, desk research, anything you could find online, going through you know, their website and their analytics and looking through you know, all of their insights in their social accounts, you know, looking at studies that have already been published, which is, is great and fine and wonderful. Um, but where the rubber really started to meet the road and you know, big changes that we made to the process as we went along was adding in a lot of qualitative research. So things like interviews and focus groups. And and it's that type of research in our belief that really validates what you find on the quantitative analysis side. And a lot of firms do that the opposite, actually. So they start with qual and get to a hypothesis and then they use quant to validate that hypothesis. And my challenge with that is it really doesn't best serve the client. It, it wastes a whole lot of time and often a lot of money running studies uh, just to get to a hypothesis. And I'd offer up that it's not as accurate using quant to validate things. So we do it the flip. We start with quant, get to that hypothesis, and then we validate with qualitative. And the results have spoken for themselves. But it absolutely, the process itself has absolutely morphed and changed over the years. Partly that's been, you know, we've found better ways to do things. And at the same time, you know, it, it's, it's also just evolved with what our clients' needs had been as well. What are the activities in the quantitative stage and the qualitative stage of the marketing research offer? Such a good one. It, and the answer is, is it really depends. It depends on, on the type of you know, work we've been hired to do. So in some instances, if we are, let's say, running a market validation study, so it's a big brand that wants to launch a new product in a new market, and they want to know, will people even buy this product? You know, that's going to lean heavily into probably focus groups and interviews, uh, which would be all the qualitative side. And quant would just be, you know, simple that we always do. Lay of the land research, find out what are people saying online in Reddit forums and Quora and what are other studies that have been published and kind of get to a bit of a, this is what we think it is before we ever run those focus groups and interviews. But if we're running, say, a study that's to inform a plan of go-to-market strategy and new geography, for an example, let's say that the client currently sells a service in Western Canada and they want to branch into the U.S. with that service. It'll follow the same approach of quant than qual. Um, it's just the levers that we pull could be slightly different. Um, and I mean, I could tie up our entire amount of time today diving deep on all the different types of research <laughs> and what, you know, what works for what. Um, but your the message, I guess, that I really want to deliver is that when it comes to research, it's a, not a one-size-fits-all answer. You can't just, you know, blanket statement that focus groups work every time or interviews work every time or you know, quant works every time and that's where you should focus. Um, and that's my you know, kind of big beef, I'll say, with a lot of research firms is that they've kind of built this blueprint 
that they just one size fits all for every project. And that doesn't work that way for clients. Everybody has a different need. Every service offering or product has, you know, a slightly different, you know, position. And you can't just pull the same lever every time over and over. What stands out to me is that your marketing research offer isn't one size fits all, meaning that it doesn't just scratch the surface. Instead, it aims to diagnose and then recommend the proper research before implementing. You still consider yourself a marketing agency with a market research first perspective. How does the implementation of marketing activities fit into your business? But what's really interesting is I would say it's still about 50-50. 50% of people know us for our impact assessment work and just come directly for that. The other 50% have often heard of the result that we've gotten with implementation and are, are coming to us to say, hey, you you did X, Y, and Z for this client. Could you do that for us? But they think, they think in their head that it was only the implementation work that we did. So then it's a bit of an education process for that end client to say, yeah, I mean, we did build them a new website, new collateral, and ran X, Y, Z campaigns. Sure. And it had a great result. But what really got them there was doing this impact assessment process first, which is, you know, by definition, where everybody should start. And so it, it's interesting. That's been an evolution itself over the years where, you know, people used to just come for implementation and it took a long time to really educate people on why that wasn't the right place to start. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, still to this day, it's only about 50-50 on people approach you. Did you know that I have a free team growth roadmap? Imagine if you didn't spend all day, every day in the weeds of running your business. That can mean more flexibility, more freedom, less overwhelm. I created the team growth roadmap to help my clients gain direction on the strategic systems and leadership actions for a streamlined business and a self-managing team to grow your business. Inside the roadmap, I share my compass method, an acronym for each step of the roadmap to get you out of the weeds of running your business and help you have a small but mighty team that gives you more freedom and flexibility. You can get all the details over at AudreyJoyQuan.com. That's A-U-D-R-E-Y-J-O-Y-K-W-A-N.com or click the link in the show notes right there in your podcast app. Back to the show. The naming of your marketing research offer is clever. I love that it's called an impact assessment. How do you sell the impact assessment to prospects? Do you require all prospects to invest in the assessment before engaging in other implementation services? This is again my big beef with our industry is that you really cannot define what the implementation plan should be, nor should you be quoting on that until you have done your research and built your strategic plan. And that's why I see so many people approaching things totally backwards in our industry. It's like, how do you know that you even need new sales collateral or need a new website or need your social managed or you know fill in the blank if you haven't taken the time to do the homework and build a plan? that informs that strategy first. So yes, impact assessments are sold as a standalone product, if you will. It's a project or an engagement. And then from there, we will uh, give a client a proposal uh, to do their implementation. And it's largely based on, again, what we find in the impact assessment. So I'll say all of the time um, when people say, well, you know, what should we be doing for implementation? And I say, that's kind of like asking me going to the mechanic and saying, my car is making this squeaking noise, but I'm not sure what it is. Can you tell me how much it costs to fix it? Well, if I haven't looked under your hood, I can't tell you if it's your water pump, whether it's, you know, your timing belt or whether you blew a tire. Like it, it really, it really has to start with informed deep dive understanding 
to tell you how much something's going to cost or what you should or shouldn't do. What were some challenges that you faced when you started requiring that your clients pay for and do your impact assessment before any engagement? But I'll be honest, we, we had quite a bit of pushback where folks would say, well, you know, we don't really want to spend our money on research and a plan. We just want to spend money on implementation. I hear it still to this day. Um, but we have, of course, now have a longer proven track record. So it's a little bit easier to show here's a case study of someone that was in your exact situation, and what that impact assessment actually did for them. Um, but back then, when we didn't have a lot of that data, it was it was hard to to really convince people that this is the right move. And, you know, we lost a lot of deals because of it. But I'm so grateful that we stood our ground on that and, and kind of drew that line in, line in the sand, because we wouldn't have you know, the case studies of the results that we have gotten if, if we hadn't done that. I like how transparent you are about the pivot and how you had to lose the wrong clients to get the right clients. We all know that when we're going through those types of pivots, there's oftentimes a whole bunch of internal struggle that happens. And when we get to the other side, which you are at now, I mean, it looks like the obvious choice, right? Like that in hindsight was the obvious choice. Can you share more about what that looked like for you as a business owner when you were going through it? What are some of the like internal struggles that you had to deal with? And also, how did that impact your business? Yeah, that's a good one. It's, uh, it was scary. It was hard. Um, I had many sleepless nights going, oh my God, these clients are saying no. And how are we ever going to bring in new revenue? And I, I mean, all the typical struggles that you have as a business owner. And I'm going to be really, really candid and honest. There were, I had to learn my lesson the hard way a couple of times where we had said yes to work that we should have done an impact assessment for. And then, you know, it wasn't that it was like a crash and burn by any stretch, but the results just weren't to the same, you know, level. Most of our, like on average, and this is a statistical fact, on average, most of our clients get over 100% rate of return after their first year of working together with us. A lot of those accounts might have gotten 5 or 10%. So it, it's like a night and day black and white difference that I can look back and provide data for that now. But being in that moment, it, uh, yeah, it was scary. And it quite frankly, it sucked. But uh, I'm, gl- I'm glad that we did it. I really, I really am. But I did have to learn that lesson the hard way a couple of times of like, oh, these clients really wanted X and we could really only deliver Y. Because- There's a saying that 20% of the actions we take in our business are what actually creates 80% of the outcomes. If I were to summarize what catapulted your agency's success, it would be your ability to pull apart all the busy work you were doing to focus on the 20% of the work that had the most impact. For your agency, five years ago, that was going all in on developing your market research strategy, or as you call it, your impact assessment. It's a big CEO move that requires you to stick to your guns and just go for it. By nature, when you start to get focused, the types of clients you serve also start to change and your niche changes. Walk us through that evolution. I would say that, you know, at the beginning, it kind of to give like milestones of what the niche was. We started with small business and that was, that's kind of where everybody starts. Then from there, uh, we started to do quite a bit of work in the education space. And then also totally unrelated, a lot of work in the home builder and land development space as well. That kind of stayed our niche for a long period of time. We picked up a lot of clients in that space and, and we've really got to know that industry really well. And it was kind of around the, I'll call it the impact assessment time when 
we really had to make a decision and we had to actually let go about 40% of our client load in order to move forward with the direction we were going of note you really have to go through an impact assessment before we're willing to do implementation. Um, And that was a very tough pill to swallow as a business owner. Very, very challenging to make that shift. And then, you know, fast forward now to today's date, and we've really been intentional about being industry agnostic. We do not believe in one market vertical marketing. I, I can beat that dead horse all day long, but I really don't feel that that is the right move for agencies. You can't be objective and you are constantly living in a world of conflicts of interest, which I had in my past life and I never ever want to go back to. Um, The agency I worked for before focused on one market vertical. It was very challenging for me from an ethical standpoint. So that's kind of, you know, the, the milestones that you would hit if you were to look back across the different niches within bottom line. But, you know, that that uh, having to let go of those clients and you know move forward, I certainly haven't looked back. But it took a lot for me to kind of get over that hump of you know letting all these clients go just so we can open up space for new ones that are a better fit. If you were to summarize the last five years in your business, what would you say are the key learnings that you could share with another business owner about growing a agency? Ooh, good one. So many things. <laughs> I think don't take yourself too seriously would definitely be one of them. Make sure you're still having fun while you're doing it and invest in yourself. One thing that I have never regretted across my career has I have invested heavily into coaching and professional development. We have a big focus on that um, just internally. Every single employee at Bottom Line has a professional development budget associated with them because we believe in everybody needs to be upskilling. Um, it's not just for the leadership team, it's everybody on your team. And, you know, that investment into myself really not that I'm not that I'm the end all be all. I still got a lot to learn here in life. But I, I felt that that has helped me so much. The other one that was really big is find some mentors and other people that are in your industry that you can lean on. It's lonely at the top. It really is. And you can't always talk to your staff about things. You need to have another support system that's outside of your core team because often they'll see things more objectively than both you and your team will as well when you run into a roadblock or a challenge. For me today, you know, one of those organizations is WPO or Women Presidents Organization. It's been a phenomenal support to me. Um, and the amount that I learned from those ladies is just immeasurable. Those are kind of some big key ones. Invest in yourself. Make sure that you've built yourself a good support system, whether that be mentors or, you know, other colleagues. Have some fun while you're doing it too. What would you say to another agency owner right now who has a business that's doing well, they have revenue coming in, but they're offering a ton of services in their business and haven't found their 80-20 mix and is trying to do all the things? Oh, find some outside help. Where I really got stuck is trying to do everything myself and not being able to see things really objectively. Like the impact assessment, I can't take all the credit for I had outside consultants that, you know, gave their input. I worked with a coach who also gave their input. And, you know, that objective perspective, if you will, uh, pun intended, uh, is really to help you get clear on what your 80-20 is and make sure that you are headed in the right direction because it's so easy to kind of have one person in your organization rowing forwards and someone else rowing backwards and then the canoe just spins in the water instead of getting really clear on where is it that we're actually trying to go 
can gap analyze that so you can get there faster instead of you know trying to just do it on your own and and kind of flounder and spin your wheels that's both exhausting for you and probably frustrating for your team as well so that would be probably the biggest advice i have is get some outside help what you describe reminds me of the saying and it goes something like this when you're inside the bottle it's hard to see the label And I think that's true for many business owners. Having a perspective of a consultant or a coach can stop the spinning of the wheels and more importantly, provide clarity that you can't see for yourself. So now that we've talked about how you got here, what does the future look like for bottom line? Oh, that's a good one. I mean, nobody really knows. (laughs) I'm kidding. Uh, We have lots of really big plans. We've grown a a huge amount in the last year and kind of on another big upward tick for growth. Um, So just adding, you know, more team members, Um, we're hoping to expand geography a little bit more. I can't share too much about where just yet, but that's, that's kind of been in the works. And then, you know, on the internal front, you know, to share a bit more there, my intention really is as we grow the internal team, I'm, I'm hoping to bring in some, some more folks on the leadership team just to help support me so that I'm not kind of at the helm of the ship and it's only me at the helm of the ship. We have some really great folks within our organization. And obviously we believe in, you know, we're recruiting from within or promoting from within. So that's, that's kind of our next big step. We'll be adding in some more team members and then promoting some folks that are inside our organization to uh, just help support that growth a little bit more. Okay. I know that you have 12 full-time employees and 60 contractors who are primarily in service delivery. Knowing that your impact assessment is intellectual property, how is it being run by your team? So it's a mix of both. So typically the, the what's called the impact assessment coordinator is usually an employee of bottom line. And they're kind of the front facing with the client. They handle the project management, you know, making sure that we have the materials we need from the client and making sure that the rest of the impact assessment team has what they need. So that's usually an employee. And then for a lot of the other roles like the brand strategy and even the market research, sometimes that is, you know, I'll call it a freelancer. And in other cases, uh, that's somebody that's on one of those like one year full-time contracts. So they're almost like an employee, but they are still a contractor, if you will. They work 40 hours a week for us, but they have a couple of other clients on the side, which gives them that you know freedom to run their own business, if you will. What keeps you inspired and at your best? Oh, such a good one. I love that question. You know, for me, it's really having discussions like this and speaking with other entrepreneurs and brainstorming ideas. Uh, My WPO meeting every month, that is like the one thing I look forward to because I feel like I'm surrounded by people that you know, lift you up, have good ideas, are excited about what you're doing and vice versa. So that's what I get energy from is is really being around other inspiring entrepreneurs. Lisa, I couldn't agree more. Having people who understand the journey and the realities of the stage of business you're at makes it less lonely and more motivating. And uh, before we wrap up here, there's one more question that I want to ask. After 10 years, you're now preparing to step out of day-to-day operations. Looking back, do you think it could have been done any earlier? Honestly, no. I, I really, for so many reasons, one being, even though this is my second business, I sold my first business, I really, I needed to do a lot of work on myself and my own leadership before I would ever have been in a position to be able to, you know, mentor other staff and you know grow the business have that knowledge so no I, I really don't think that it would have been successful if I had tried to do it you know previous because you you really have to be in the right headspace 
uh, to do that. It's not as simple as just hitting a milestone in one day. It's like, okay, yep, I'm done. I'm stepping out. You guys are on your own. You've got to lay that groundwork so that there are systems and processes that the, the team can follow. And you've got checks and balances in place so that it doesn't go off the rails when you do step out of the day-to-day. So it's not just as simple as like making that decision. There's a lot of work that goes into that. And, you know, I still have work to do and probably will continue to do a lot of that work before I can just say, yep, I'm fully out of it. Lisa, thank you so much for your transparency and the depth in today's discussion. How can our listeners connect with you? Oh, well, first of all, thank you for having me. And uh, second of all, it, I'm very active on LinkedIn, so feel free to reach out there. Or, of course, check out our website, just www.wearebottomline.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Small But Mighty Agency podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It would mean the world to me. Or send a screenshot on Instagram while tagging me at Audrey Joy Kwan.